Indeed, as Doug has just prayed, God is a God of amazing grace, isn't he? That's why we gather here on Sunday mornings to worship him as we have and why we gather here to hear his word for our life. And and as we do that this morning, I want to invite you to take your message notes from the worship guide. If you have a pen, take that in hand. And and, uh, if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. Today we are starting a new message series, and I am really excited about this series. It is called Back to the Basics foundations for a mature faith. And as you're opening your Bible to Hebrews 6 and getting those notes out, I, I, I want to begin this series by, uh, by asking you how many of you can remember back to your elementary school days? Okay, now some of you, that's been a long time if you're as old as I am in my 50s, and uh, maybe for some of you not so long. But, but what, what did we do in elementary school? Well, in elementary school, we learned some first principles, right? We learned some fundamental things that that were important to our education. Uh, For example, if you're good at math today, maybe you can do differential equations and uh, maybe you can do derivatives or even calculus. But where did it all begin? It began back in elementary school, learning to count one, two, three, four, five, and so on. In elementary school, we learned how to add and subtract, how to multiply and divide. And one day, built on that foundation, Hopefully, I say hopefully because I can't do a whole lot of higher math, but hopefully people can do higher math. Well, what about reading? Uh, Maybe there are some of you out there who have uh, read some extraordinary literary works, as you may have read Plato or Aristotle. Maybe you've read even the Confessions of St. Augustine. And and, and maybe you and I have read literature that, that stretches our mind, literature filled with images and metaphors and irony and all sorts of literary devices. Well, where did it all begin? It began back in elementary school. And what did we have to learn? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? And then we had to learn to put those letters into words and words into sentences and sentences into paragraphs and complete thoughts. Well, as we think about that and we enter into this series today, uh, the scripture says that there are some things that are elementary, some things that are essential, some things that are foundational, that, that must be built into your life and mine if we are going to grow into a mature faith. And so let's look at what the Bible says about that in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, where the writer of scripture says this, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, instructions about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Now, if you have your notes, uh, write down a word maturity or circle it or do something there, uh, because that's the goal, isn't it? That, that's the goal that uh, we want to have in our lives. That's the goal that God wants for us in our spiritual life. Not that we stay stuck in spiritual infancy and spiritual adolescency, adolescence, but that you and I grow to is spiritual maturity. And when the Bible says, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ, it's not talking about leaving them in the sense that we forget them. But rather, the Bible is talking about it in a way uh, that they should be so integrated into your heart and life and into mine that, that we don't even really have to think about them as we move along in our faith. They are built into us. For example, when you and I do higher math, 
We don't have to think about how to add or subtract, do we? I I mean, it's just built into us. When we read advanced works of literature, we don't have to go back and remember the alphabet again. It's built into us. And so here in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, the Bible is saying that that there are some basic foundational principles and truths that, that God wants you and me to have so built into our lives that we use that then as the foundation with which we go on to learn other things that the Scripture would teach us and other principles and truths from God's Word. Well, over the next several weeks, we're going to look at these building blocks. We're going to look at these foundational principles that that the writer of Hebrews talks about here in chapter 6. And and I'm excited about this series because I think it's really going to be a series for every one of us. Uh, For those of you who've been coming here to First Covenant Church for just a short time and maybe you're exploring who Jesus is, uh, you're, you're wondering what the Christian faith is all about and, and you're beginning to explore what the Bible says, I, I, I think this series of messages is going to fill in some gaps for you and, and give you the kind of information that you need to be able to determine what it is that you, you're going to believe. And then on the other hand, for those of you here who grew up in the church or in a home of faith, maybe, maybe you know these words we're going to talk about over these next several weeks. Uh, but, but maybe the meaning of them hasn't quite been filled in for you. And uh, this is a series, I believe, that's going to bring some greater understanding to your life about these things. And then there are those here in the worship center who have been a follower of Christ for a long time. And, and you know these topics that we're going to talk about in this series. And my hope is that as we hear about these things over the next several weeks, we're going to be reminded of, of all that God has done in our life and what's been in our life for a long time that is the foundation for the faith that we have. Now, I invite you to take those message notes and uh, to look at those blocks that are there in the message notes, those building blocks that are, are the foundation we're going to lay in this series uh, over the next uh, several weeks. And, and if you have a pen, write in the uh, lower left-hand box the word repentance. And, uh, and then write in the box next to it there in the bottom, faith. Repentance and faith. And that's what we're going to look at here in a few moments. And then put in the word baptism. Uh, put it, that in because you see refent, repentance and faith and baptism are oftentimes put together in the scriptures as that foundation for, for your faith and mine. And next week, we're going to hear some teaching on baptism and we're also going to get to participate in baptismal services as we have people in our congregation who are going to be baptized. And then in the upper left-hand corner, put on the, put the, write the words laying on of hands. And, and I hope you're going to be back here in a few weeks on February 5th. Uh, we're going to do a message on the laying on of hands and talk about the implications of that for our life and, and the power of the Holy Spirit that comes to us uh, in that. And then in the next block to the right, put the word resurrection because you see this life isn't the only one there is. And, and we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. And then the final word to write in is the word judgment. And the last week of the series, we're going to see the reality that, that, that ultimately there is one to whom we must give an account for our life. And we're going to talk about the implications of that and what it means to how we live our life. And so you see, the book of Hebrews is saying that these six things are, are elementary. They're, they're the foundation. They're those first principles of the Christian life. And we've got to have those in our life if you and I are going to grow into spiritual maturity and have a, a mature faith. So let's dive into this this morning and and look at what the Bible says about the the nature of genuine repentance and saving faith 
And, uh, and it's really about this turning point that happens in your life and mine when we trust Jesus. Now, first of all, the Bible tells us that, that the call to repentance and faith is essential. It, it's essential to the authentic gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not secondary, but it's primary. It, it's the heart of the gospel. And uh, the scripture teaches us that. For instance, Jesus in Mark chapter 1 Verse 15 talks about it when he says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then Paul follows that up a little later in in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 21, when he says, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And so here's the point. What the scripture is telling us is that Genuine repentance, saving faith, repentance and faith are essential to the genuine and authentic gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, if those two things are essential to the gospel, what are they? What is repentance? What is, what is faith? Well, well, let's look first this morning at repentance. And, and, and in the New Testament that we have in front of us, the original language it was written in was, was Greek. And, and the Greek word for repentance is the word metanoia. And it literally means a change of mind. A U-turn, so to speak. A U-turn in the way we think and the way we live our life. And so the image that the Bible is giving us is that as, as people who are lost in sin, we are walking into a life of sin. We're walking in a life of sin. And suddenly one day God gets a hold of our life and we turn and we do this U-turn and we walk toward God. We walk toward His forgiveness and His grace. We experience that in our life and it changes how we live our life. You see, repentance involves a change in our mind that leads to a turning from the direction our life is going in and heading in and turning from sin and turning to Jesus Christ and receiving His grace and forgiveness and living a new life. And in Acts chapter 26, not chapter 20 as it's listed up here, but Acts chapter 26, verse 20, Paul talks about this when he says, I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all Judea. And also to the Gentiles, that all must repent of their sins and turn to God and prove that they have changed by the good things they do. See, it's a a change in the direction of our life. It's a change in our thinking. It's a change of heart where we turn from sin to faith in Christ and living for Him. There's another thing that that I think we need to understand about repentance that the Scripture teaches us, and and that is that repentance is produced by godly sorrow in our life. We see this in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 9-10, through where where Paul has has written a letter, and uh, he's written this letter previously, and in this letter he has confronted the people in the Corinthian church with some of the behaviors, some of their lifestyles that are not honoring God and are wrong and are sinful. And And this had to be a difficult letter for Paul to write. And it had to obviously be a hard letter for them to receive. I mean, it stung them. It wounded them. And it made them sorrowful. But let's look at the result as it led to their repentance from that sin. He, He says, speaking about that letter he had written previously, I'm glad I sent it. Not because it hurt you, 
but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow that God wants His people to have. So you were not harmed in any way by us. It, it, folks, this is what we heard Mia talking about in that, in that video this morning. And she talked about how, how she recognized what she was doing and, 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 and in sorrow turned toward God. And Paul says, for this kind of sorrow, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience, leads us away from sin and results in salvation. <clears throat> There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, he says, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. You see, what, what, what the Scripture is teaching us here and what Paul is saying is that, that godly sorrow for sin leads us to that repentance, to that U-turn in our life. Leads us to turn to God for forgiveness and, and leads us to, to a change of behavior in our heart and in our life. Godly sorrow involves, or true repentance involves godly sorrow. It motivates us. But that's really different, isn't it, from the world's kind of sorrow. Paul talks about worldly sorrow here in these verses. And and when he does, he's talking about a, a kind of repentance that's a false repentance, not a true repentance. Because worldly sorrow says what? I'm sorry, why? Because you know? I got caught, right? I'm sorry because of what is happening in my life as a result of what I've done. I'm sorry because I lost my reputation in this. I, I'm sorry because I lost my marriage in this. Or I'm sorry because I lost my family in this. I, I'm sorry because I lost my job as a result of what I did. And so do you see what this false repentance, what this worldly sorrow always has at its core? It always has at its core a focus on self. I'm sorry because of what is happening to me. But, but notice here what Paul talks about when he talks about true contrition, real repentance. Because what this means is, is when we truly have godly sorrow, it leads us to say, God, I am deeply sorry because I have dishonored you and I've broken your laws. God, I'm sorry and I know I, I deserve judgment and punishment and and I'm sorry, and I openly confess the wrong I've done. I, I'm sorry because I know I'm responsible. I'm sorry. And I desire to turn away from this sin. And I'll be glad to make restitution wherever possible. And that's the spirit of real repentance that the Bible is talking about. That's the spirit of real repentance that is motivated by godly sorrow. It, it's a kind of sorrow that King David had there in the Old Testament, when after having committed adultery and then after having the husband of the wife who he committed adultery with, having this guy murdered. When he's confronted and, and God reaches down into his heart and life, he cries out to God in anguish and in godly sorrow. And, and he says, have mercy on me, O God. Cleanse me from my sin. Create a pure heart in me, he says in Psalm 51. You see, he has a broken and a contrite spirit. He has a broken and a contrite heart. And that's what genuine repentance is all about, isn't it? Genuine repentance is, is a, a heartfelt sorrow for sin. There's this deep emotional sorrow. There's an emotional dimension to it where we are truly sorrowful. 
And not only that, but there's this intellectual dimension to it as well as there's a renouncing of sin. In other words, in our thinking, we realize, hey, what I've done is wrong. What I've done is truly sin. No excuses. It really is sin. And then repentance involves not just the emotional dimension of life and the intellectual dimension of life, but also the volitional dimension of life as, as it involves our will, as it there, there then leads to a sincere commitment to forsake that sin and to walk in obedience to Christ, to walk in life living for God. And understanding that, th- that this is what repentance, genuine, true repentance is about. Could I ask us this morning, have you, have I, truly come to a place of brokenness before God for our sin? Have we truly come to a place of brokenness because of our sin? Are any of you here football fans? Any football fans out there? Sure, lots of hands, right? I'm a, I'm a football fan. I've been following football for a long time. In fact, uh, being from New England, I'm really excited about today. You know where I'll be at 2 o'clock this afternoon. You know, and, and I love to watch football, college football, NFL football, uh, high school football. And, and I'm in my 50s now and been watching football for a long time. And, and for those of you like me who've been watching NFL football for a long time, uh, maybe you remember that for a number of years there was a voice that was associated with the NFL. It was the voice of a man who anchored football programs on CBS and he announced football games for years on both CBS and Fox networks and he was a play-by-play guy and, and uh, the last 21 years of his career he broadcast games with, with John Madden. Do you know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about Pat Summerall. Now, now, maybe you know about Pat Summerall's association with football, but do you know the story of his life? Pat Summerall was, was an only child, and, and his parents divorced before he was born. And his family situation left him feeling so empty and all alone. He felt that deeply in his childhood and throughout his teenage years. And, and as a result of that emptiness, Pat Summerall turned to alcohol to to numb the pain in his life. And he became an alcoholic who, who lived from drink to drink as his body broke down. Until finally in 1994, when he was broadcasting the Masters Tournament, he, he began to face up to his life and, and what he had become. Telling the story, he tells of how he oftentimes got sick in those years leading up to the Masters Tournament. And, and there at that tournament, it was 3 o'clock in the morning and he got sick and and after being sick, he, he, he looked in the mirror and he realized what a terrible sight he'd become. And he realized he, he didn't want to live that way anymore. But his, addictions was, his addiction was strong and he, he was having a difficult time breaking it. And finally, he says his family and his friends did an intervention and he begrudgingly checked into the Betty Ford Center in Palm Springs, California. And he was there for over a month. And he says that, that while they helped him address his alcohol problems, it, it didn't help him deal with the spiritual vacuum in his life. Sometime later, he said, he bumped into Tom Landry, the legendary coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And Tom Landry explained to Pat Summerall the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And, and sometime after that, Landry connected Pat with uh, the chaplain of the Dallas Cowboys, John Weber. And John explained to Pat a bit more about how he could turn uh, from his sin and repentance and by faith trust Jesus Christ and, and, and experience a new life, abundant life. And Pat Summerall's story is that at age 69, he turned from his sins and he trusted Christ and he was baptized and his life was transformed. Can I ask you here this morning, have you experienced such a transformation in your life? Has there come a time in your life where you said, I don't like the way my life is. It, it, it's empty, it's broken, it's sinful. And in remorse and godly grief with godly sorrow, you've turned away from that sin in repentance and you've turned to God toward Jesus Christ and you've accepted His forgiveness of sin and a new life. Friends, if God can do that for for so many of us who are here in this worship center today. And if God can do that for Pat Summerall, He can do that for you. Well, having seen this morning a bit of what repentance is about, what about faith? What about faith? God's Word talks at length in many places about faith and and just a few of the verses are those like Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, where, where the Bible says, for it's by grace you've been saved, what? Through faith. There it is. And this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. I really like the New Living Translation of these verses. Listen to the way it states it. It says, God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. In other words, the Bible's saying that our good works don't get us into heaven. We get into heaven through believing that Jesus is God's Son sent from God to earth to take care of our sin problem. You and I all have a sin problem and, 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 and we can't do anything about it on our own. And knowing that God loving us and wanting to be in a right relationship with us sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to earth. And He says if we will trust Christ in what He's done for us on the cross, we'll experience forgiveness of sin. We'll experience a restored relationship with God in this life. And then we get to go be with Him in heaven for eternity when this life is over. And Jesus talks about this as well in John 3, verses 16 through 18, where Jesus says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Jesus is talking about Himself. That whoever, there it is again, believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And then a few verses later in John chapter 3, verse 36, the Bible says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. 
And then those verses from Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and what? Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You'll be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. You see, the Scripture is telling us that if you and I want to experience God's forgiveness and grace, there needs to be genuine repentance. But along with that, there also needs to be saving faith where you and I believe in Jesus and not believe that somehow Jesus existed like some historical figure like we believe, say, in George Washington, believing that such a person existed in time and in history. No, genuine faith always includes a a personal trust, a, a personal reliance, a personal dependence on Jesus Christ alone to save us? And so realizing that, I ask us another question this morning, and that is, do you and I have genuine saving faith? Do you have genuine saving faith? You know, so often as I'm out in the community or I'm out and about in our world, I rub shoulders with people and I have conversations with them and I'll ask them where they stand in their relationship with God and, and, and if they were to die today or when the time comes that they die, do they know for sure that they would go to heaven? And, and it's interesting the responses I get, but, but one of the responses I get from people is that, yeah, yeah, I, I'm going to be in heaven because I believe that there is a God. Their, their faith is, is merely a general belief that God exists. As they say, they believe that God exists. But, but, but that's not biblical saving faith. Look at the verse here on the screen behind me where, where James says, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. And that's good. Good for you, he says. <laughs> Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. You see, there's something more to saving faith than just believing that God exists. Or there are many other people in the world around us who who say that their faith is merely something they believe, but, but it never goes down into a deep soul commitment down into their heart. Jesus talked about this one day when he was talking to people a lot like us who who kind of go to church all the time and they would spend every Sabbath in the synagogue and and these were the religious people of their day. And yet Jesus says this, he, he says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, a deep and a genuine saving faith goes down into your soul and into my soul and into our heart. And then it results in a a changed life. And and for many in our world today who say they believe, their their faith hasn't resulted in a changed life devoted to uh, good works. And, uh, and, And the Bible talks about that. Uh, here uh, is it talks about how our faith is real when it produces the fruit of good works. Look at what James says in, in James chapter 2. He, he says, what good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, he's saying that that faith that doesn't produce good works never really was genuine faith to begin with. 
And then there's a lot of people who I rub shoulders with in our world today who, who go to church and, uh, and their faith is, is really merely a, a church thing rather than yielding every dimension of their life to Jesus Christ. And, and the Bible says in 1 Peter 3, in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. And, and, and what's that saying is that, that when our faith is real, when you and I have genuine saving faith, then our faith is something more that we, than, than what we just talk about at church. But it affects everything. It affects our marriage. It affects our, our, our friendships. It affects our family, our work, our school life. It, it affects our finances, our future. Everything. Everything. I want to tell you a story about a woman by the name of Judy Yeshek. Judy lived in Crystal Lake, Illinois. And her brother Steve was a pastor. And he tells this story about Judy after... Judy died from battling cancer for, for five years. He, he, he says that his sister was a woman uh, who most people would describe as, quote, a, a party animal. He says she was vivacious. She was full of energy. She was somebody that everybody loved to be around. Uh, she was exciting. Uh, she was loved. But he says she was also a big drinker. And she was living a self-contented lifestyle. And so oftentimes, Steve, over the years, would try to share the gospel with Judy, and he said she would just laugh it off and keep on partying. But at the age of 44, Judy's world caved in. She found out she had cancer. At the same time, she found out that her husband had cancer too. And then her husband came home one night to tell her that he was having an affair and that he didn't love her anymore and he divorced her. And he left her all alone. And she was broken. And it was in the context of that brokenness that for the first time in her life she began to ask questions about life's meaning, about life's purpose, about eternal life. And as she asked those questions... She listened this time with interest as her brother Steve shared the gospel with her. And she prayed to receive Jesus Christ as her Lord and her Savior. And Steve said that her conversion was real. And, and because her repentance and her faith was real, it, it began to, to change her life. And, and, and from that time on, her, her relationship with Jesus Christ and, and, and His priority and His purposes for her became uh, what was first and foremost in her life. And, and he says she lived with the same gusto she'd always lived with as, as an unbeliever, but now she approached life with her greatest aim being to win other people to Christ. And she boldly shared her faith even while she was undergoing surgery after surgery and praying for healing. And ultimately, Steve said, she came to see that the greater miracle that would happen would not be her own healing, but would be the salvation of her family and friends who would come to know Christ through the witness of her testimony. About 10 days before she died, she was struggling to be able to even breathe. But Steve said she talked her way out of the hospital so she could be baptized and publicly proclaim Christ one last time. 
And she invited all of her friends to come and her family to come to her baptism service. And you know what occurred? Through the powerful testimony and witness of this woman and through the grace of the Holy Spirit in her life and the Holy Spirit's anointing on her words, her 84-year-old dad came to faith in Christ that day. She had invited even her ex-husband and he came to faith in Christ that day. Some of her nieces and a college roommate came to faith in Christ that day. Her aunt and her sister came to faith in Christ that day. And after that day, she said to Steve, when I die, you be sure you preach the gospel at my funeral. And he did. And the place was packed with all of these friends who had known her for years, who had partied with her for years. And when Steve shared the good news of God's forgiveness and grace, He said a hundred people came to faith in Christ that day and gave their lives to the Lord. God used the testimony of this woman and the radical changes He had brought about in her life. And as I heard Steve tell that story, I thought, what about me? And I ask all of us today, what about us? Has genuine repentance and saving faith occurred in our life so that we are willing to boldly share with others the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Understanding this morning a little more about repentance and faith, I just want to briefly talk about a last insight I think the Scripture gives us and shares with us today about the nature of genuine repentance and saving faith. And and that is that when you and I genuinely repent and believe, God promises some things, doesn't He? And that's the good news of the gospel for every one of us. That's the good news of the gospel for the world around us that is lost in sin. Look at Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. The, The Bible says, Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that He may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. And what's all this saying? It's saying that, that when you and I come to Christ in genuine repentance and saving faith, God bestows on us three things, it says in these verses. First of all, the forgiveness of sin. The slate is wiped clean of whatever it is you and I have done. And not only that, as you and I then walk through life facing what life throws at us and the turmoil and the stuff we go through and the difficulties of life, God provides for us through His Holy Spirit within us the refreshment of our soul. That He walks with us and He's with us no matter what it is we go through. And then thirdly, one day, one day, one day Jesus Christ is coming back again. And while our bodies may lay in the grave on that day, and we're going to see this in several weeks when we talk about resurrection, God is going to raise us up and give us a new and a heavenly body. And we will be with Him forever in eternity. As we think about all this today, I want to invite you to put your notes away and I want to share with you a a closing story. 
It's a story about John Newton, a man who lived life in the 1700s. And maybe you know the name John Newton. I don't know if you realize this, but John Newton was a slave trader. He was a man who trafficked in human flesh. According to all accounts, he was a vile and he was a wicked man. But God in His great grace changed the heart of that man. And John Newton repented of his sin and he believed in Jesus Christ and God forgave him of his sins. And John Newton went from being a slave trader to becoming a pastor. At the same time that all this was happening, William Wilberforce was a politician in Britain who was working for the abolition of slavery. And and Wilberforce and Newton became friends. And and somewhere there in the middle of that fight against slavery, William Wilberforce went to his friend, Pastor John Newton, and he asked him to write about his experiences as a slave trader. He said, John, I I think if you'll do this, it will convince people uh, of the wickedness of this thing. John, won't you write this down? And Newton refused. He said the memories and the 20,000 ghosts that haunted him were too painful, too painful to write down. Sometime later, Wilberforce went to see his friend again. And he discovered that in the intervening time, his old friend had indeed written down his experiences even though Newton's eyesight was almost gone. And Newton gave to Wilberforce everything he had written down. And he said, William, you must use it. Use it. Everything I remember is in here. Names, ship records, ports, people. Everything is here. Even though my memory is fading, I remembered as much as I could and I put it in here. But William, I want to tell you that even though my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner. But Christ is a great Savior. Do you know that today in your heart, in your life? Have you said before, I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior? His grace is sufficient for all who genuinely repent and believe. Let's pray. In just a moment, I'm going to close in prayer and and we're going to sing that song written by John Newton. And if all is well with your soul, and you are right with God today, and you're living for Him, then then as you sing, I invite you to, to join me in giving thanks to God and singing with joy and peace in your soul. But if the Spirit of God today is bringing conviction to your heart, would you say to God in your heart as we sing Amazing Grace, Oh God, I'm a great sinner. But today you've taught me that you, Jesus, are a great Savior. I repent of my sin. I need you. Please forgive me. 
Thank you for dying on the cross to take on the consequences of my sin. And then would you invite Christ to be the Lord, the the CEO, so to speak, of your life. The one who's in charge of your life. Father, I pray today that you would help people who are here and who've never experienced genuine repentance and saving faith. Help them to give voice to a cry that says, for the sinful things I've done, I ask you, O God, to forgive me. I'm a great sinner. God, in my sorrow for my sin, I want to turn from that sin. I renounce that sin. And I turn to you, O Jesus. And Jesus, will you please save me? For you, Jesus, are a great Savior. Lord, would you hear these prayers of repentance that people may be praying even now? Or may be praying as we sing. And by your grace and by your spirit, would you produce fruit? The fruit of real change in all of our lives. For our good and for your glory.